You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome in Hokies fans to this edition of the Tech Sideline Podcast. We record on Monday, October 25th, following the Hokies' heartbreaking loss to Syracuse in Lane Stadium on Saturday. This is episode 202 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. We're going to go through how the Hokies blew another lead nine points in the final few minutes, the surprising play of the Hokies' offense, and where they go from here with four of their last five on the road. All of that and much more coming up on episode 202 of the Tech Sideline Podcast, which starts right now. Welcome you in if you are listening archived on Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, or Stitcher, or if you're watching on YouTube. If you're watching archived, be sure to like, comment, and subscribe. And if you're watching live, drop a comment or question down below for David or Chris, and we'll get to those at the end of the episode with Nick. As always, the Tech Sideline Podcast brought to you by the Southeast Regional Training Center. You can help bring Olympic hopeful athletes to Blacksburg with one of the fastest growing and best wrestling programs in the nation. Go to Southeast eastrtc.com to learn more and donate today we are still missing our head honcho founder and chief on episode 202 of the tech sideline podcast and will stewart he is down in florida so once again for the second straight week we have david cunningham across the way the managing editor for tech sideline as always lead analyst and columnist chris coleman to my left behind the scenes malcolm stewart always does a great job as the best podcast producer in the land and in the fourth chair today, as always, on Mondays, it'll be Nick Brown. He'll have his segment in the middle of the show and then get to your YouTube comments and questions at the end. Well, guys, it was a tough <laughs> tough game on Saturday. Uh, but before we get into that, Chris, you at least had some uh, silver lining on Saturday oh, night. Your man. Braves are going to the World going Series. Going to the World Series? I'm going to the World Series. Yes. So I'm going to apologize in advance if there's no Sunday article. After the <laughs> I'm going I will to, not blame you. I'm going to the Friday and Saturday night games, and I'll be flying back to uh, to Virginia on uh, on Sunday, and I'm actually flying in and out of Richmond instead of Roanoke, so I'll, have, I'll also have a three-hour car drive after I get back. But uh, So apologies in advance for that, but – you know, well, I think at this point, possibly. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And, you know, even if Tech wins, like, I, I don't think it's going to be like, I don't think I could say anything more about yeah. the program than I've already said in writing and everything <laughs> like that. So I figure if you're going to go, if I'm going to pick a year to go to the World Series, you know, this would be the one, right? Yeah. And I, and I think Will, deep down, is probably glad that he got the hell out of Dodge this week, too, because <laughs> there's just not a lot of new things to talk about. <laughs> yes, Will still in Florida. He should be back for Wednesday's episode of the podcast. Like you, the Hokies will be down in Atlanta this weekend, so we'll get into Georgia Tech on Wednesday. Forgot to mention, I'm Jake Lyman. I'm your host, as always. <laughs> uh, always got to introduce yourself. Um, but let, let's dig into the Hokies and Syracuse on Saturday. This was the Hokies' uh, third straight loss, Notre Dame, 
Pitt and Syracuse three straight weeks all inside Lane Stadium. And this one kind of had the exact same thing as Notre Dame. You're up late, eight points in Notre Dame, nine points against Syracuse, and somehow find a way to lose. Uh, just a tough sequence of events there for the Hokies down the stretch. You know, the, one of the things Virginia Tech has managed to avoid doing during the Justin Fuente era is, is allow big returns on special teams. And even, even he said in his press conference today that he thinks, as far as he can remember, that that kickoff return by Syracuse uh, after Tech went up by nine was the first time in his career that an opposing team had returned a kickoff past the 50-yard line. So, like, it just it's something different every week, it seems like. Um, I, I ran some numbers for my article yesterday, and I used Pro Football Focus to look up Garrett Schrader's big-time throw rate, uh, which is only 3% on the season, which is 109th out of 138 quarterbacks who have 100-plus dropbacks on the year. So that's horrible, quite frankly. He can't he can't hit a ball down <laughs> downfield to save his life. He can't make a good throw down the field to save his life. I mean, his passes look like a shot, shot put. Yep. And yet he hit that one. It, was, <laughs> it, 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 it reminded me of like – it was the same thing a couple years ago with Bryce Perkins at UVA when he dropped that dime down the right sideline. And his big-time throw rate, I think, was even lower than Schrader's. He was a guy who all year had not shown the, the ability to throw the ball accurately down the field against tight coverage, and yet he did it at that moment in time. And that's what Schrader did the other day. Um, and he did it while Jordan Williams was playing him in the turf. It's just, statistically speaking, it's probably the most unlikely play. I mean, if you, if you told me before the game that, that like, yeah, Schrader's going to win the game in the last two minutes with his arm – and I'd be like, no chance. No chance. Yeah, but, cause, cause but you, he did. Because you thought Syracuse was going to win on a field goal. Yeah, I thought they were going <laughs> to win on a field goal. Instead, they, instead, the Luke Rosa Award winner bounced it off the upright. <laughs> and, and, and field then, goal. Right, and then had, a, had, an, had an extra point block, which Tech returned. So Tech stole <laughs> six points from the kicking game. Yeah. And if you'd told me that before the game, I would have said, I'm picking Tech. But like I said, man, it's, it seems like it's something different next week. I, maybe we could start taking bets for next week and see if we, <laughs> we can come up with new and creative ways. Yeah, well, I think one of the interesting things is that that Schrader is not a – even like outside of big-time throw rate, he's not a good passer in right. general. 54%. And, and he was – you know, he completed I think forty three percent of his passes, like sixteen or thirty four or something like yeah, that. Yeah, but he but he two hundred thirty six yards. But he had two touchdowns and and, and had, he threw for more yards than Burmeister. You know, did. The, the disappointing thing was it's for most of the game they couldn't pass. You remember when they started their ninety eight yard drive? Yeah, and at that point they had three passing yards the entire game, and then they hit that little ten yard screen to give him a little cushion, and then they hit a, he had a couple passes down the field. They drove ninety. Uh, 98 yards and two or three of their key plays on that drive were through the air. And then they made key through key plays through the air on their last two drives. They spent 90% of that game, not being able to throw the football, but when the, the 10% of the time when they needed to throw the football, they were able to do it. And that's the most disappointing part. To me. So on that drive after a false start, backed them up to, to like the half yard, right? Yes. They had, a pass for 10 yards, a pass for 7 yards, a pass for 38 yards, mm-hmm. uh, and a pass for 24 yards, all before Schrader scrambled a couple times and right. and, and then he ran in from 9 yards and out. And like but, I said, I believe before that drive started, they had 3 passing yeah, yards. They hadn't moved the ball much at all through the air, and, yeah. and Tech had been 
Tech was fairly solid up to that point run, in, in terms of rush defense. And then it was kind of just from there, Syracuse found its way offensively through the air. Yeah, and if, if you let offenses be balanced, it's gonna, they're going to be really difficult to stop. I mean, I thought Tech was going to struggle to stop the Syracuse running game, but I thought, like everybody else, they would do just fine against Syracuse's passing game and the Orange would be one-dimensional. And I picked Syracuse to win, but I picked a 23-21 game or, some, or something like that. I did not see... The passing explosion from Syracuse. I did not see the running explosion from Virginia Tech. It's just it's a lot of random things happening this year sometimes. Like, even the the games that you're picking to be close, like I picked, or we all picked, basically. We all picked we all UNC picked. game to be close, the yeah. West Virginia game to be close, the Syracuse game to be close, the Notre Dame game to be close. The only game we didn't pick to be close was Pitt. And from a closeness standpoint, we've been dead on. As far as yeah. all that goes, but a couple of those games, like like the UNC game, was a lot lower scoring than we thought. Notre Dame game was a lot higher scoring than it seemed. This like game, it was gonna be. this game was a lot higher. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So uh, the the kind of the the, the results are, are kind of what we expected as far as a closeness standpoint of all these games. But the but road to get there is it's, way it's different. It's up and down and <laughs> yeah. up and down. And up uh, yeah, and, down. and I'll tell you what. If you're a new, if you were a neutral fan the other day, <laughs> you just randomly turn on a Virginia Tech Syracuse game. <laughs> if, you, if you live somewhere where it happened <laughs> yeah. not be blacked out, which is apparently rare. Um, you would have been really entertained. I mean, Great game. you got yeah. you got you got High a lot scoring. of offense. You got passing. You got rushing. You got field with nineteen nineteen seconds, seconds left. Wild you field goals, field goals, bouncing <laughs> field goal off uprights. Field goal block. Field goal block. Return, return for a touchdown. Return off of a fumble. <laughs> crazy. So if you if you were if you're like a neutral fan and you turned it on, you're probably like, man, I really enjoyed watching that game. Yeah. <laughs> well, we've talked about this after West Virginia, after Notre Dame, and now Syracuse. Three games that really came down to one play. And I think something that I've noticed is a trend. West Virginia, the Hokies just did not make the one play they needed to to win the game on third and fourth down at the three-yard line mm. at West Virginia. Notre Dame, they went and made the plays. The two-point conversion to tie that game was just a guy going up and making an athletic play. Yeah. Same thing with the touchdown against Syracuse. Jordan Williams plants Garrett Schrader in the turf, and he still makes a 40-yard throw downfield into tight coverage. It seems like when it comes down to that one game-changing play, it just hasn't gone the Hokies' way this year. Yeah, and it's something different each week, it seems like. Uh, Fuente said this morning that Tech busted the coverage on that play, that uh, based on how Syracuse aligned, they should have changed their uh, you know, pre-snap coverage to something else. And for whatever reason, who was, whoever was responsible for that did not change it or it did not get communicated correctly to all the defensive backs. And uh, they got caught in the wrong coverage and got burned. But even with that, it's still a throw that Schrader hadn't made all year. Yeah. And his receivers hadn't made any plays for and him. And Dorian all year. Strong had a hand. Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, defense. Strong's Strong's got a little, got to get a little stronger. Um, it's like he needs some weight room time, but but you know you can say a lot of text players need some weight room time, right? And and it, Strong picked a bad time to have the worst game of his career. Uh, and I'm not pinning this on Dorian Strong because oh, yeah. I think he's a good player, yeah. but it's just. It's something different every week, yeah. right? And if you, I never would have said before the game, oh, you know what, we're going to lose this game. Dorian Strong's going to have a couple plays where he's right there and he's got his hands up. He just doesn't make the play on the ball because when that happened to him against UNC earlier this year, against a better receiver probably, he made the play. Yeah. So that's, I don't know, man. Sometimes it's just when, when, there, when it's something new every week, 
I mean, if it was one problem, it's simple. You just, <laughs> you fix, just that fix that problem. problem. <laughs> That's the one. Yeah, but yeah. But th- this this is the problem on Saturday was something that hasn't been a problem all year. Yeah. Well, secondary. That, that's exactly where I wanted to go with this. When you guys made your predictions last week, and we, we talked about keys to the game on Wednesday's podcast, and we uh, we didn't even go through them. I just said the key is to score points. If I told you Virginia Tech would score 36 points, mm. not turn the ball over, and rush for 260 yards, win, you would have said it's a 20-point win. Yeah, oh, I, mean, yes. I, I would have absolutely said Tech would have won that game by two or three touchdowns. Handily, yeah. if you had told me that before the game. I, I would have said the same thing, considering how the defense has, has played so far this season. How, how, And as I wrote in, in my recap of the game, there wasn't a game this season where the defense lost Tech the right. game. The defense played well enough to keep Tech in the game, and the offense just wasn't there. If you told me that, I would have been like, 100%, that's a win, no questions asked. And here we are. I think David would have had somebody institutionalized if they told him that because he had the Hokies scoring 10 points. And as we discussed before the podcast, I said, and as I said last week, show me where Virginia Tech has played well offensively. And as, as we talked about, you, Will, and I texted, and I asked Justin Fuente after the game about – if he had worked more with the first team offense this week, he was like, "Yeah," and he kept I, it very short. And I, I made I, it very clear. Yeah, well, yeah. this was, of course, after right. somebody asked about his job. But, oh. but I mean, he, he. I think that that helped a little bit. But it's, you know, after scoring seven points last week and barely almost losing the scoring streak last week against yeah. Pitt. Coming out and scoring 36 points, I, I would have said 100% Virginia Tech wins by multiple scores. We've seen Justin Fuente last year when he thought the defense needed a spark, or he thought the offensive scout team needed to get, be giving the, start, the starting defense a better look. We saw him take control of the scout team defense. And shortly thereafter, or excuse me, we saw, we saw him take control of the scout team offense. Offense, yeah. Right. Shortly thereafter, we saw the starting defense improve last year. And so he stayed in that role through the start of this year and was not a part of, or not nearly as much of a part of Virginia Tech's regular offense. And they couldn't move the football. And now this week, he leaves the scout team offense, which means he leaves the preparations for Virginia Tech's defense Defense. completely in the hands of others. And he goes back to the offense and helps out over there. And just like that, we see the offense get better. We see the defense get worse. So like, it's like, Justin Fuente, actually the only like really good pure football coach on this staff, and I'm as- asking that question, and I'm very much aware of what is most likely going to happen to Justin Fuente at yes. the end of the season, yeah. and I think we're going to look back and probably say, you know, like Frank Beamer before 1993, Justin Fuente's big big problem was he didn't surround himself himself with enough good assistance. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and you could tell. The offense had a spark. The offense was energized mm-hmm. on Saturday. I mean, first quarter they came out for were four for four on, on third downs. Yeah, converted, 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 and and that's what happens, I guess, when when Fuente takes over the first team. Maybe well, he maybe he actually saw Malachi Malachi Thomas in practice, and he was like, because. Yeah. He didn't get to see Malachi Thomas in practice that much before during team sessions because he's over with yeah. the scout you say, team. Give offense. this guy, yeah. give this guy Maybe more reps. Like, why aren't we? Why aren't we playing this guy? <laughs> you know, I mean, my God. So, and now that you saw what happened, it kind of makes you think the same thing. Why aren't we playing this guy? Why weren't we playing this guy before? Um, he's going to be playing now. And <laughs> I, I, from a long term 
beneficial standpoint, like he's he's still a skinny guy. Yeah. Like his frailness of his body, he shouldn't be getting 21 carries in a game right now. He could end up getting himself hurt because he's just not going to be. Syracuse is a bunch of freshmen on defense. Yeah. Every other defense, <laughs> every other defense tech face faces is going to be bigger, stronger, faster, more experienced. Um, so I'm worried that he's not going to be able to handle that rush load, and you're going to look back and say. We should have just had that guy doing big squat Friday every week to prepare him for his future, get him up to 205, 210 pounds, and then he's ready to roll next year as a redshirt freshman. Because I think if you're not going to redshirt him this year, which they can't do now anyway, I mean, is not redshirting him going to give put Virginia Tech in a bowl game? I don't think so. So to me, it still becomes a wasted redshirt. Um, that said, I totally understand why they why – they, they, <laughs> yeah. yeah, and – if you're going to burn that red shirt, you make it worth it. And they to did. their credit, they, they, they made it worth it. Although I don't – I worry that his body's not going to be able to hold up with 21 carries a game from here on out. And I'm not saying he's going to get 21 carries a game, but that can't be the plan going forward in my opinion. Something we talked about last week was that when you are a college football program that hasn't ascended up to that top level, you're trying to sell hope to your fan base. You're trying to say, hey, we've got this future that we're yeah. going to be up there one day. Do you think maybe that was part of it? They have this guy, true freshman, who they're impressed with. Malachi Thomas may be one of those pieces that fans can look at and say, okay, there's at least a plan moving forward. Yeah, and I, I would say one of the one of the interesting things, I think, to go along with that is also that outside of Raheem Blackshear, there's been no production out of the running back mm-hmm. room. I mean, Jalen Holston didn't have, he didn't have a carry no. on Saturday. Keyshawn King... Has, 1.7 yards per carry. Yeah. Like, when you ha- when you can't – when you're searching for answers offensively, when you've been as abysmal as Virginia Tech was in its first six games offensively, and you see, as I assume Malachi Thomas did, explode during practice, you go, maybe we should get this guy a lot more reps. Well, you know, it reminds me a little bit of the 2015 season when it took them a month or five weeks to, to figure out that Trayvon McMillan – was, was, was their best running yeah. back. And once they finally gave him the most carries, it was that Friday night game against NC State, and he busted out for like 130, 140, 150 yards, something like that. You're sitting there like, why, why couldn't they see this before? Yeah. Right now, now to be fair, when, when, when it's a true freshman, sometimes, you know, sometimes you don't necessarily see that early in the season. Sometimes those freshmen, it takes them a while, and then they hit a point, and then they bust through the freshman wall, and then they get better. So it's possible that he Malachi Thomas really hadn't turned it on up until the last uh, couple weeks or something like that. But still, like any time you sit there and see, I mean, <laughs> how how many times do you need to see Kashawn King carry the football and yeah. average one point seven yards per carry before you figure out that somebody else has got to be better? And you had said that you would prefer a smaller running back yep. rotation, maybe two. I think it seems like Malachi Thomas. <laughs> really yeah, like oh, I mean, look, it's with, look, it's got to be those two. I mean, it it can't be anybody else now at this point, can it? If you're going to go with two guys, no. it's got to be those two. And, and but you obviously can't get him the amount of carries he got on Saturday right. every single game. Right. But I mean, I think Raheem Blackshear, Nick, how many? He had 78 yards on 10 carries. Yeah. 10, 10 carries. He actually so, averaged more yards per carry than, than Malachi yeah, Thomas. So, so you can, 7.8 you can, and Malachi 7.2. So you can yeah. give Raheem Blackshear oh, a little bit more carries yeah, yeah. And, and space it out. But like, 15, but that's your running back rotation. Right. You were you were searching for it, and now you've right. found you've it. You've got it. And, and, and Blackshear actually had, 
I believe, over 100 yards of total offense because he had the yeah. long catch on the screen yeah. pass, too. He had so, 30 yards. Yeah, so screen. that's outstanding production from a two-back rotation. Yeah. And, yeah. and I, I don't I don't know whose responsibility it is to choose the running back <laughs> uh, rotation. I, I, honestly, I, I have no you. idea. I have no idea, but maybe it's not a coincidence maybe when Justin Fuente goes back and takes more control of the offense in, in this week when a, a decisive decision like that gets made. Well, and – Last year, we saw this running game it was so effective. I, I believe the Hokies ran for 300 yards in the first four games of last season. Yeah. And Khalil Herbert, who had a nice game yesterday, again, 100 again. yards for the Bears. Uh, first 100-yard rusher that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have given up this He's year. He's looking like a good bag. And with no threat of a passing game to help him out here. Yeah, and he had five catches for 33 yards, right. too. Did Justin Fields had five turnovers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> not, not a great game for the Bears. <laughs> no. But Khalil good game Herbert, for Herbert is the silver lining there. Uh, but... If the running game can have that type of production, that it seems like it kind of opened up the offense a little bit. More. Well, all right, yeah. So Virginia Tech was doing a nice job running the football on even that first drive of the game, and then bam, it just opened up the uh, play action to Julius for a touchdown. Yeah. Um, and I think the defense took a step back this week, but if they can get back to playing how they were playing, and Virginia Tech can continue to run the football and i'm not going to say that they're going to run for how many was it 260, 260. i'm not going to say they're going to they'd run for 260 every week but if they can be competent running the football <laughs> from now on and the defense can get back to playing how they were before saturday's game then they will have an opportunity to win football games between now and the end of the season but you go back to what we were talking about earlier it seems like there's something new that goes wrong every week well and you mentioned that first drive with the Dulius touchdown at the end it seems like it's been a trend for the Hokies a lot that those scripted plays on that first drive yep. have been great. And that was a perfectly run drive for the Hokies. But then it kind of stalled. David mentioned four for four on third down in the first quarter. After that, the Hokies won for eight the rest of the way. Yeah, yeah, that was tough. Um, and I thought both teams stalled in the second quarter until Syracuse's 98-yard yes. drive. At that point, that score was 14-7, to seven, and it was looking like that 23 to 21 game yeah. that I predicted or the whatever what you pick I don't I, my pick, pick was 27 10 yeah, yeah, so yeah, it wasn't yeah. even close um, so <laughs> you might have been close to the 10 for well actually they'd already outscored yeah no I, yeah yeah so uh so <laughs> yeah. if that if first that, two drives all yeah the time. It, it hit uh it had stalled at that point and like at that point when Syracuse has got to go 98 yards and they can't throw the football and there's so little time remaining in the second quarter you're like I don't see how this one's going to be a high-scoring game. Like I never, you wouldn't have looked at it right there and said, "Yeah, this game's going to be forty-one to thirty-six at the end." Um, and then both offenses started going off again in the second half. Um, I, I, I was, I, it's disappointing from the standpoint of you finally, finally get something going offensively. Yeah. And at this point, I don't care whether it's the running game or the passing game, just as long as it's something. And and then it's just it's all for naught in the end. And, and you brought up the 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 opening up for other things and that's actually a question i asked caleb smith after the game and i included in my article and his response was i feel like once we get that first explosive play of the drive whether it's running or in the air it lights a fire under the offense and that really drives us and you know tech's passing attack i mean burmeister was 10 for 20 i mean he was not very good but when you can run the ball it it gives you something to help carry the offense and then you just have to like you said it opens up a little dink pass for for Julius which is an easy completion for a touchdown right and you mentioned 10 for 20 for Burmeister I wanted to look back and just see how it kind of progressed for him and I love Hokie stat uh, the live stats for Virginia yeah. Tech they have the QB progression 
So Burmeister started with five straight completions. Mm. Man, and he nice ended story. with four of his last five being completed. In between, from late second quarter to the early fourth quarter, huh. he was one for ten. Wow. So so he was good he, at the beginning. He completed one pass from, I believe, the second to last drive in the second quarter to the first drive in the fourth quarter. Which, wow. that your offense isn't going to do much when your quarterback completes one pass. No. <laughs> in, in, in two quarters. Yeah, basically. yeah. So when you think about it from that standpoint, it's actually amazing that Tech scored 36 points. Yeah. And but that's Malachi Thomas, I guess. Well, and, and a blocked extra point. Yes. Yeah, so on, yeah. though they scored ten points during that time. One was the field goal towards the end of the first half, mm-hmm. and then they scored the touchdown. But that was only a forty-five yard drive, I want to say, because the there was punt a, return. There put was him a punt at return by Tavion. Yeah, that's yeah. right. So they, that, that's very impressive. The run game looked good, but Burmai. It seems like he's still struggling with an injury. There were a lot of yeah, passes. Seven to ten yards downfield, they just were nowhere close. Yeah, and it's just another game where like you don't notice Trey Turner at all. There, 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 there was another, there was another play this week where he ran a slant, and Burmeister threw it to him, and Turner kind of ducked. And I thought if he just reached his hands in the air, he could have caught it. Yeah. And it's almost like he was trying to draw a pass interference flag. Yeah, it looked like he – so he begged for the call after that play. Uh-huh. But they showed the replay, and, I like, the defender, like, lightly tapped him on the back. Right. And it looked like a flop. I was like, Oh, yeah. It lo- yeah. It totally looked like a flop. Yeah. And uh, if, if, like, it, it did look like a weak push. Yeah. But, but that's another thing. Like, if he was a little stronger – from the weight room, then, yeah, then maybe yeah. that doesn't doesn't knock him up. But he did look like he went into it, like trying to draw the flag. But as it turned out, I thought the ball was right there, and he could have reached yeah, up and caught it. It was. Yeah, but you know what's I- I- ironic is <laughs> when I was over in, in Merriman earlier for the press conference, John Laser mentioned something to us just about how when he he was talking with Mike Byrne up on the radio, and at one point during the game he was like, Trey Turner is invisible. And then he said he looked at the stats and was like, no, he's more than invisible because, you know, he he hasn't touched the ball. Nick, Nick, what did what was Trey's final numbers? So Trey, had, he had this jet sweep, by the way, that was insanely successful for 26 yards. Mm-hmm. He had 26 yards rushing. He had another jet sweep that went absolutely nowhere. And then on the passing game, two catches for 12 yards and 11 Total yards because the second one was went for a loss. Yeah. Wow, and okay. and, and yes, he's sir. and as we've talked about, he's you know you could say Tavion or Trey is the best receiver, but I mean you've got to get him more than two touches in the passing game, right? You do, and when you try to give him another one, he's got to go up and catch it. Yeah, right. And I don't know, just the passing game is broken, and and you're beyond the point where you're like. It's, it's not this player's fault. It's not that player's fault. It's not Braxton's fault. It's not Trey's fault. It's not Tavion's fault or yeah. Caleb Smith's fault. It's not it's, Caleb Smith's fault. It's certainly not <laughs> Caleb Smith's fault. Uh, yeah. Which, by the way, another seemingly very good game blocking. He, yeah. From Caleb he also Smith. had, I want to say, 48 yards in the receiving Yeah. Game. Yeah. Okay, he yeah. Had Caleb Smith. And he had, a really he had the game winning Hail Mary. Uh, that was a great play by him to tip it for Tavion to even yeah, have a shot right, at it. Right. Yeah. Um, the the offense itself, like the passing game itself, I mean, it needs a new, it needs a reset, and it can't be resetted in the middle of the season either. We we've seen it over the last five games. The passing game has pretty obviously struggled. 
Do you think that James Mitchell may have been more of a safety blanket for the Hokies than could, maybe could, even people had thought he was? Could have hurt. You know, last year, I think he only caught, only caught 21 passes last yeah. year, but at the same time, how many of those were big passes? Yeah. Right? And I think he only caught two or three this year before he got hurt. But that one he caught against UNC when he smacked those dudes on the helmet and then just <laughs> ran right by him. I mean, he's he's good for a play or two like that every game. Yeah. And that can be a that, that can be a big deal. I mean, that might have won tech of that UNC game. It, it allowed them an extra an extra set of downs yeah. and able to run out the uh, you know, not necessarily run out the clock, but it took more time off the clock in, in the fourth quarter. So so yeah, I mean so many close losses this year and a guy like James Mitchell could certainly make a difference. But the thing is like nobody else is playing well enough and nobody else is coaching well enough to where you can say, Oh yeah, it's, it's just because tech lost James Mitchell. There, there's still enough on this football team where they should have been doing better the whole time in my opinion. Yeah. Well, and I think, I think he certainly helps you go back to West Virginia. Like I think he would certainly have helped in, in, inside the, the 10 yard yeah. line. And, and I think, you know, James Mitchell is always good for one or two uh, throwback screens for 15 yards a game, <laughs> yeah. but but in all honesty, the offense, you know, this offense is never. I mean, even when when Dalton Keene was here, this offense, you know, never. It wasn't like they were throwing to the tight ends five times a game. But right. yes, I do I do think that he was he he would have provided a little bit more of a safety blanket, just a go a, a tall option, an athletic guy you you throw it to when. You know, Braxton yeah. Burmeister's in danger. Well, in West Virginia especially, it's hard to imagine if James Mitchell is out there the entire game, the Hokies score zero points on three trips to the Red Sox. Yeah, 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 for sure. And, you know, right now, Tech's two best players are out. Mitchell's been out almost the whole season, and Jermaine Waller yeah. basically yeah. missed this past game with uh, with an injury. I think he was out there the first drive. Yeah, he, and then he, I, he had a boot on the he, second He half. started, and he was out there at least – the first, I don't know if he was out there four, the second four, drive. Four plays. Yeah, but he, uh, he was okay. out there. F- yeah, I, I know because they, they, they forced a three and out on the first right, drive. Right, so right. and then he came off the field and then he was okay. done for the day. Yeah. So, I, I again I question why why can't it be determined during pregame warmups or throughout the course of a week that a player is too injured to play? Well, it's like, like Khalil Herbert. Khalil he, Herbert against Liberty last yep. year. James Mitchell against Liberty last year. I think he only played five or ten plays. And Fuente's like, oh, he can't play. He's got to get out. Like. Why can't that be figured out in pregame warm when they're or when they're when they're going through right. the motions? Right, exactly. Well, you should be able to know it then. The Herbert oh, one just, was the most egregious. He, right, he right. fielded the opening kickoff and then did not play another snap. Right, game. right, right. And it just you should be able to figure that out in the pregame, and you end up throwing a hurt guy out there, and you just run the risk that he's going to get hurt even more and miss even more time. So. Uh, hope Waller's okay. Hope he didn't do any yeah. da- further yes. damage to himself on Saturday. Well, believe it or not, that was the positive segment of this podcast. <laughs> We're going to talk about the defense and kind of where the Hokies go from here after the break. First, let's send it over to our fourth chair with Nick and see what he's got for today. I'm going to start dubbing this uh, segment the Scott Glessner segment because <laughs> this man pumps out the most obscure and just, I'm going to say it, gnarly stats. I think we gnarly. need to get him in the fourth chair. Yeah, I know. We need to get him in. You need to hire him. So the first time is this is only the second time under Fuente which had two touchdowns in the first two possessions. Wow. The other time was ironically oh, Tennessee. 
No. Oh, really? Really? Wait. Georgia Tech in 2018 when they got blasted. <laughs> That's right. Thursday. That's right. It was, it was 14. Yes. 14. Oh, yeah. yes. I do remember. Yeah. And then Georgia just Tech. Keep up. Yeah. yeah. Georgia Tech just. Well, you know what's interesting? Other, so I, I, once that happened during the game, I was sitting in the press box. And I said, "Huh, that's the first time it's happened all season." I went and looked. And I was like, "Yeah, okay." And because Tech scored the only, the only other time Tech had scored on on its first drive. I think they did it twice. North Carolina and Richmond, I think they did it on the first drive of the game. But it's like after that, in both of those games, it just fell off offensively for the rest of the first quarter. And what was funny was the Tech's first drive against Syracuse since took so long. What, it takes six and a half, seven minutes off the clock? Yeah. Something like that. So, And then by the time they got the ball back again, I mean – it seemed like it seemed like more time had gone off the clock for them to just have two possessions. Yeah, it, it was it was six minutes twenty one seconds okay. on the first drive, and yeah. then the second drive took four minutes and fifty six right. seconds. So so two Things long well. drives. Yeah. <laughs> and then the other stat brought to you by Scott Glessner is Beamer in his first six seasons had three seasons where there was a four game losing streak. If Tech loses to Georgia Tech this week, very possible. Then the third time. it'd be the third time in Fuente's first six seasons. Twenty eight third time in the last four years. Correct. Yes, 2018, 2020, so, and, and This means that Justin Fuente is going to be a Hall of Fame coach. And <laughs> well, but it know, only happened, the four-game losing streak only happened one other time in the rest of Beamer's tenure. Right. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Um, which I guess would be the end of the 94 season and the start of the 95 season. Because uh, Tech, Tech started zero and two in ninety five, and I know they lost their last two, probably maybe their last two or three of ninety four. Um, so yeah, it's not something that happens very often around these parts. And I see a lot of the same similar similarities that were hurting the program in nineteen ninety two is right now. Yeah, uh, as you detailed in your article, exactly. Yeah. You know, I, I, I think uh, Beamer obviously fired some assistants at yeah. the end of that year that, that that didn't need to be coaching at this level, and then he came up. With twenty key steps to a seven seven win turnaround, as he called it in his book, but basically he found ways to instill more discipline in his program. Um, and I, honestly, I think those are the Virginia Tech's two main issues right now. I mean, it's 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 like ninety two all over again. To like me. player development and discipline. Yeah, yeah. So so to, and uh, yeah. So I think Tech. God, I think they went two and eight and one in nineteen ninety two, and six or seven of those losses they were leading in the fourth quarter. Yeah, wow, that's where the chokies I mean, came from. It just from. <laughs> seems so similar this year so far, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. Well, you heard it here first from Chris. Twenty twenty eight Hokies will be in the national championship <laughs> game. <laughs> yep. Exactly. Also, I did want to bring up some uh, some fun little stats. Fuente is five and six in alternate jerseys slash helmets. I included the matte helmets. This is. Actually, surprisingly, a lot better than I figured. And now, if you go back to Beamer's last five years, I'd think that that record would be a whole lot worse, including the black jerseys that they which wore. need to be brought back. Yeah, <laughs> the ones the, the ones he wore for his those last are your favorite game. ones. For, no, for Boise State. I, I, oh, the Boise I State can't one. like them because Virginia Tech is zero and two all time in black jer- uh, black jerseys. The oh, Boise State well, jerseys and, and, and oh and three. If you include the Hokie Stone ones, or is Tennessee? Okay. Well, that's great. Um, Tennessee, Beamer, you know, guess, they wore yeah. black, black helmets. But the, I, li- um, I always liked like the the ones that they wore in Beamer's last game. I did, yeah. too, and we, except we lost to North Carolina, who yeah, I well. don't like very much. <laughs> so the most heartbreaking moment <laughs> of ever being a Virginia Tech fan was losing to Boise State. We were wearing black jerseys, 
and then you lose Frank Beamer's last home game ever to freaking UNC in black jerseys. Hey, they're ranked. I think they they're look cool, Jake, they're but they good. bring up too no, many bad memories. I, I think every football team should have some sort of black uniform. I think they're That's the best. Fair. You want the Titans? Yeah, I would love Titans with black uniforms and like the the light blue outlining. I think that would That'd look be great. sweet. You know, to, to one, one quick thing on on Nick's stat, um, the uh, on the four four game losing streak. In the 2018, Virginia Tech lost four straight games. Three of them were at home. Mm. In 2020, Virginia Tech lost four straight games. Three of them were at home. Mm. Virginia Tech's lost three straight straight games, all of them at home. You know, I remember towards the end of Beamer's tenure, I I, I wrote an article or two where I detailed Tech's struggles at home against Power 5 teams, or maybe even FBS teams. I think think Power 5 teams, though, were – when Virginia Tech was picking up wins against Power 5 teams, it was generally on the road, and they were losing all their home games against ACC competition, basically. And I was like, man, this this has got to change right here. And then I think we went 6-1 and one at home or something like that in each of Fuente's first two wow. years, and I'm like, this is what this is what we need. Yeah. We need to win the games where the fans are here and watching. And they started doing that at first, and yeah. then it's been all downhill since then. In my final segment – I know Tech lost, and Sean Tucker did damage on the ground. But if you get the chance, go look at Sean Tucker's Twitter feed. It is, frankly, hilarious. He always tweets out his performance like he's a high school kid trying to be recruited. Uh And his tweet this week was, Finally an ACC win, Syracuse 41, Virginia Tech 36. By the way, this is his tweet. I'm pleased with my performance and happy with the outcome. I ran 20 attempts for 112 yards with two receptions for 14 yards. Thanks to my O-line for reach, helping me reach 1,000 yards and more to come. I'm just getting started. Dudes, I love it. That, that's, that's NIL, buddy. Yeah. I love yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's and what that's about. Sean Tucker is also, by the way, the only running back in the country with 1,000 yards. 1,000 yards. Season. I saw yeah. that. We can talk a little bit about Sean Tucker in the second half. We'll do that. We will. It is also, it is also Sean Tucker's birthday today. Is it? <laughs> How do you know that? I, I saw Syracuse <laughs> tweet it out. It's Sean Tucker Day on the podcast. Our friend uh, Giovanni Heater liked uh, Syracuse football's tweet uh, about it being his birthday, and it said, be sure to let Sean Tucker know you're pleased with his performance this season. Well, in, in that, I guess that that's actually very ironic. <laughs> but one, one last thing before we go. Uh if this offense plays like the way it did, and they play like this, like at Georgia Tech, you know Georgia Tech's defense. I mean, you guys will talk more about this on on Wednesday, but like Georgia Tech's defense is not very good. I mean, they're they rank la- to towards the bottom in yep. most of the categories, and you know you go on the road to Boston College, who's okay. You go to Miami, who at, I don't know where they are in tackling now, but they're you know wishy-washy defensively and Virginia who hasn't been able to play defense all year those are winnable games if you can score points Duke at home yeah well and that that too that's that's winnable for sure uh George Tech I was actually studying them this morning while I started writing the preview and their defense started out strong like the first four games of the season and then the last three games they have just dropped off a cliff yeah it's it's just like night and day they can't stop anybody now yeah but that's I mean that 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 was my point like if Virginia Tech if this offense can Obviously, it's not going to rush you for have 250 every game. Going. If but the momentum yes. can carry over. And, and if you, like you said, if you can get the defense back up just to to where it's not losing you the game, mm-hmm. then, I mean, this is a, a, a potential chance. There's five games to go. I mean, they're all winnable. They're, they're all winnable, thing. David. And but they're, but, they're, all, they're also, <laughs> they're all losable. also losable. And, yeah. we, and so far this year, it, those 50-50 games haven't exactly gone in yeah. Tech's favor since they were playing UNC. And 
to be quite frankly, UNC's going to be end up being one of the softest teams on Tech's schedule. Yeah. Well, we keep finding tangents before the break. I do want to mention quickly, he talked about the alternate jerseys. Tech did a great job with throwback Dan Lane. Yeah, to me, right. those aren't even alternate jerseys. Those are They're always just, the real Virginia Tech <laughs> football jerseys to me. Well, it was cool. You had the jerseys, and the then scoreboard, the scoreboard yeah. was retro, uh, and then they kept throwing up like throwback videos from uh, – they Foul had, language. The, yeah, the don't don't be a jerk. Uh, cartoons. <laughs> jerk alerts. Yeah, yeah. Jerk, yeah. There you go. Well, uh, I was impressed with it. I think that's something they need to keep doing. Kind of theme days in lane, especially when yeah, I, aren't going I think well. it's cool, especially when you're playing old big old Big East foes. Yes. Like like yeah. when you play your, I don't uh, when you play your pits when you play your your Syracuse West Virginia next year. Yeah, West Virginia yep. next year. Hint, hint. <laughs> yep, yep. All right. Well, we're finally going to take a break here on episode 202 of the Tech Sideline podcast. As always, brought to you by the Southeast Regional Training Center. When we get back, we're going to talk about the defense and their struggles against Syracuse's running game on Saturday and also take a look ahead at those final five games and how the Hokies can kind of salvage this season at this point. Stay with us here on episode 202 of the Tech Sideline podcast. We'll be right back. We welcome you back here on episode 202 of the Tech Sideline Podcast, brought to you by the Southeast Regional Training Center. We have our crew on set here on Monday. Still no Will Stewart, as he is still in Florida. We'll be back on Wednesday. David Cunningham across the way. Chris Coleman to my left in the fourth chair. Nick Brown, Malcolm Stewart behind the scenes, as always. And I'm Jake Lyman, your host. We're going through Virginia Tech's loss to Syracuse on Saturday, falling to 3-4 and four on the season. They have five games remaining, four of which on the road. We've gone through the offense, which was a, a positive for the Hokies on Saturday for the most part. The defense, not so much. They had probably their worst uh, game of the season <laughs> against the Orange on Saturday. Yeah. Um, disappointed to give up some of the big plays in the passing game. And again, it wasn't that many of them. It's just when they needed to get made by Syracuse, they got made. And uh, that, that that's extremely disappointing. Maybe some of that is due to Jermaine Waller being out. But, you know, Tech's, all of Tech's cornerbacks have played well enough this year where you don't think that should happen against a team that hasn't been able to make any plays in the passing game yet so far this year. So very disappointed there. I didn't think Tech would do would be able to stop their running game. Um, just Syracuse has been good at it, and Tech has been trending down as far as stopping the run. Um, that played out. Um, the defensive linemen, generally speaking, seemed to do okay in the preliminary PFF grades. Um, Tate Daly at safety was really good against the run. Uh, Jenkins graded out extremely poorly. So did Nasir Peoples. Uh, Alan Tisdale was the worst of them all. And Dax, even Dax was slightly below average. And, uh, you know, some of those guys, like, uh, Dax was the, the best out of the, uh, some of those individuals I just mentioned, at least as far as the linebackers go. But, like, he's a fourth-year player now, and he's playing in his nat natural position, and he's got to do better. And, Tisdale, for whatever reason, has progressively gotten worse during the course of his career. And he even put on weight this year, but yet he somehow looks weaker. or He just seems to be playing weaker. So, And I'm saying this not to single out those players, yeah. but again, it seems like there's a player development problem in this program. And I don't know why that is, but... That's just what it seems like to me from the outside looking in. Some people look at recruiting, and I just I look at our four-star guys that we get. Trey Turner was a four-star recruit that everybody wanted. And he hasn't gotten any better. He hasn't gotten any better. Tisdale was 
like a high three-star guy with a big offer list, and it's gotten worse. Yeah. Um, you know, Dax has been kind of the same guy his whole career. Dax could have gone to Clemson. Yeah. You know, so you've got you've got the plenty of guys in this program. De- Devin Hunter, everybody wanted, and he's basically going to end his career as a non-contributor. And you, you just don't see across the board improvement from players in this program, in my opinion. And that that is our biggest issue as a program. And I, I, in general, before this year, it's, it's mostly been a, a problem on on the offensive side of the ball, but it seems to be creeping into like the linebackers now and even the safeties a little bit. I think despite their rough day on on uh, on Saturday, I still think the cornerbacks have, have developed. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you think back to their freshman years, like Trey Turner and Jermaine Waller were true freshmen the same year, 2018. Waller played like 50 snaps all year, barely played, couldn't even beat out Bryce Watts, who is probably the worst starting cornerback in Virginia Tech history. Couldn't get on the field ahead of Bryce Watts. And I'm sorry. Uh, I mean, the guy ended up transferring to UNC. And then, can't get on the field for UNC, so and they can't play defense. I don't even know where he went. I don't, I don't know. But, He's but off I mean, the map somewhere. Well, what I'm, what I'm saying is, you know, and Trey Turner probably played five or 600 snaps that year and made a lot of big plays and, for the Tech offense. Yeah. Since that year... Trey Turner stayed the same player. The Jermaine Waller's yeah. improved. The trajectories are just completely ex- ex- different. Exactly, and that just seems to be the case with Virginia Tech offensive players. And and but and now I'm seeing it creep in a little bit. It's certain positions on defense too, and that worries me. One oh. of the in this game, outside of the final, outside of the game-winning touchdown, one of the 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 plays that keeps you know rerunning in my head um, that I feel like perfectly or accurately describes this game is it was a Garrett, one of Garrett Schrader's runs. And, you know, he had over, uh, he had 170 yards for the day. It was one of the runs. Um, I, I want to say it was in the fourth quarter where he just kind of pulled it and went up the middle and it took like four or five guys to bring him down. And he just kept churning and churning and churning. And there were a couple guys Earlier in the game, you know, I mean, people just missing tackles against Sean Tucker and Garrett Schrader, and you need multiple guys to bring him down. And you know, the, the defensive line got got some pressure. I mean, they hit him quite a few times, but it's just the the run defense wasn't wasn't good enough. Missed tackles, and Syracuse just got chunk plays after chunk plays on the ground. And then when they finally turned it up in the air, they couldn't be stopped. I actually went to the game with a former college quarterback quarterback and wide receiver didn't play at the you know power five level or anything like that but he's a former college football player and sat there and told me the whole game and he, he's a season ticket holder at tech and he, he goes to all the tech games and he's just like man our tech's linebackers just aren't good enough and i look back at the pff grades and for this individual game and he's right and then i looked at the pff grades for the whole season and he's right and and, and, and like they're trending down too like they're getting worse as the season goes on and and that's extremely concerning when, especially when the offense finally seemed to have found its footing to a certain extent against Syracuse. So we can sit here and say, okay, well, the offense is better now and maybe they'll be better again this week. But what if the defense continues to trend to drop, down? Yeah. And then you could also have a complete flip. Defense could get back to where it was and Hope offense so. could. And then, so. and then Tech would start winning. Yes. Right. Yeah. I, can you duplicate Justin Fuente? Can you have one Justin Fuente yeah, coaching the scout? <laughs> the one right. Justin Fuente coaching the scout team offense and one coaching the actual right. offense? I know. And I have a feeling that comment's not going to go over well in our YouTube channel. Probably, yeah. will <laughs> probably not. Probably not. Over well. Um, but we're analyzing something here. Like, I don't know. If, if Virginia Tech loses to Georgia Tech on, on Saturday, I feel like it'll be like 
in a way we haven't seen before, maybe. But like, yeah. maybe, 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 so maybe the defense does get back to playing better this week, and maybe the offense does continue. But the offense like turns the, the ball, over. Or, or, the ball or, over. or they block a punt for a touchdown. That would be a new one, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because Peter Moore has been great. He's been great. Yeah, it was great again the other day. Had he one was. down to the two. Fantastic. Yeah. And that ball, that was one of the great – I told my friends, like, this is one of the greatest punts I've ever seen. Landed at the three and yeah, just, stopped just stopped at the stopped two. Died. I was like, "That just is unbelievable!" Died. Yep. Yeah, it seems like the and then and then, and then Syracuse went went ninety <laughs> yards. <laughs> they did. Yeah. Sorry, I had to. Is, the it, is it fair to say the one position that the Hokies can consistently develop is punter? I mean, AJ Hughes, <laughs> Oscar Bradburn, and now you got Peter Moore. Yeah. Um, you mentioned Garrett Trader running up the middle and it taking five guys to bring him down. It. I think it, it kind of shows how the game went. I didn't know which play you were talking about because there were plenty. Yeah, there of were multiple. Like well, that. there was one I think that he <laughs> he like had gained like eight or nine yards, and then like three guys jumped on top of him, and he like got like another seven yards. He, and he's it, very physically similar to Gerard Evans. Yeah, he doesn't yes. he doesn't throw the ball as well as Gerard Evans. I mean, like he's got that shot put release or whatever. But he's, um, they're about the same. But they're they're the same, same size, build. same yeah. build, pretty similar athletic ability. I mean, Schrader's a guy who can make guys miss, and he can run over him, and he's got good speed. I mean, that guy's a legit runner. What's he got? I think eight college starts now. He's probably, he's got close to 1,200 rushing yards yeah, in his career. I mean, that that's legitimately good. Yeah, there was for 12 touchdowns this season. Yeah, right? there was one of there was one play where he was going towards the north end zone, and he just, like, juked a couple guys out of their shoes. And yeah. it's like the dude's, what, 6'4"? Yeah. Like, like, he's a big guy, but he's, he's at that athletic, and he showed it. I mean, as I put in my article – Sean Tucker had what 115, 112, 112 yards, um, and and Schrader had 170. That's you know, there's been one instance in each of the last, or each of the last or three of the last four seasons, um, where Virginia Tech has allowed a duo to rush for over 100 yards in a game. It was North Carolina last year. I don't think it was they had one two years ago, but three years ago it was against Pitt and. You know, like Pitt had two guys rush for yeah. over 100. So it's just like, you know, when you, you face a guy who, who, a quarterback who can run especially, it gets really tough. Yeah, it does. And when you got two threats back there that you have to stop. Uh, but, but again, you know, I, I expected Syracuse to put up big numbers in the running game. So to me, that's not why Tech lost the game. Yeah. They, they did what they did. They did what they do well against what Tech does poorly. It, it was what Syracuse does poorly. They happened to do fairly well against. What Virginia Tech is normally good at defending, and that—that that was what cost Virginia Tech the game. Well, Garrett Trader, final stats: 174 yards on the ground, three rushing touchdowns, 236 passing yards, and two passing touchdowns. Who was the ACC Offensive Player of the Week this week? Uh, he was not. He was not the quarterback. Hartman was the quarterback. Oh, though, really? though, to be fair, Wake Forest put up seventy. Did, well, yeah. They they only possessed the ball for seventeen minutes. That, that, that Are was you a, serious. Yes, they, they had seventeen seven minutes of possession and time and scored seven. seventy points. <laughs> And you do that against the triple option of Army? Yeah, it's true. Our Army's going to have the ball. The bigger yeah. question is, how does Army put up fifty-six points? Yeah, one of one of the one of the best tweets from the weekend was uh, it was a screenshot of the box score from Army Wake, and it said uh, the government invests how much in, in the, into the, the military? Of yeah, the Department of Defense, and allows seventy points in seventeen minutes. <laughs> this is a, this is before you all time, but I remember when Virginia Tech played basketball basketball in the Atlantic 10 yeah yeah okay. and they would play teams like Temple and Temple would run like a 2-3 matchup zone and the final score would be like <laughs> 51 to 43 Temple and and but now this Wake Forest Army game 
is a football game. <laughs> yeah. That, like, completely blows those old tech basketball games out of the water as far as points. Yeah. Yeah. That uh, I was watching that game just flash on the Lane Stadium scoreboard. Oh, and it's it's, it's like it every stop? time it would come around, somebody New else scores. Score. like, well, there's 10 minutes left. We yeah. got at least four more touchdowns. Yeah. It was like, <laughs> all right, it's 56-42. All right, 56-49. Oh, 63-49. It just kept going back and forth. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, for Syracuse, seven yards per carry on the ground. But a lot of that was Gar- Garrett Trader. It just seemed like every time he tucked the ball and ran, it was a first down. Yeah, um, it didn't really seem like Tech made very many tackles for loss in this game. I have not looked that up. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I think they sacked him once, maybe. So there just, there just yeah. weren't a lot of negative plays. And... He's a guy that, you know, even if the initial contact is at three yards past the line of scrimmage, he's going to drive for four or five more. He's just that big. I mean, you've got you've to be a big, physical, tough team to stop him, and that's just not what Virginia Tech is right now. You know what stood out to me is I, I don't know when the moment was, and I wish I would have documented it, um, but there was at one point in the game where Virginia Tech had no sacks and Syracuse had negative one rushing yard. They finished, Syracuse finished with 15 negative rushing yards. So mm-hmm. they they gained 329, the net was 314. But you only sacked him once, and you had ne- they had negative 15 rushing yards. Tech didn't get in the backfield no, at all. No, no tackles, you know, I think... Three total TFLs. Three total tackles for and loss. They haven't gotten in the backfield very much since the North Carolina game, and yeah. I think that tells you a lot more about North Carolina's offense than it does yeah. anything else. Well, we've talked about how Justin Hamilton has had a lot of success so far in his first season. It just seemed like on on Saturday there was a lack of adjustments. It seemed like Syracuse, they were content to run the ball and make throw slants over the middle, and they just kept doing it the rest of the game. I would have put as many men in the box as I could which and played as much man coverage as possible. And to be honest, I haven't gone back to look and see what Tech did. For all I know, that's exactly what they did. I mean, they were pretty much in man coverage to the end of the game when they hit that bomb down the field. But that's just the type of plays that Syracuse – has not shown the ability in their first seven games of the season to make it at all. Yeah, you dare him to make that throw. Dare him, then they did it. Yeah, and that's and, that's one of the the ones where it's like, I dare you to do it, and if you do it, congratulations. Yeah, yeah. There, there's not much you could do about that. I mean, yeah. it was good coverage. Strong's hand was in there. Yeah, and Williams hit Trader. It was just yeah. He's pass. he's got to go a little bit stronger. Like I, I, no, said, it was yeah. funny. I was, I was watching. I was walking through the parking lot after the game. Walk walking back to the cage to my tailgate and. I happened to run into a uh, a former Virginia Tech defensive back who's who's played in the NFL in, in recent seasons, and uh, and I stopped him and we t- we talked for a couple minutes and uh, and I, and I'll, I don't want to give away who this guy is, but some of you will be able to guess it. But I was basically like, he's real similar to you from a size standpoint at the same stage of your career, and he's like, yeah, he's just got to get stronger though. Yeah, and uh, and he's right. But that's I the thing. That's, I think I think like that, the, that's one of the guys. Ryan Smith has developed those cornerbacks yes, really, yes, really well from a natural skill standpoint. Yeah. he's done a fantastic need to need job. to get better development in the weight room. Correct. But but right. and, I mean yeah. that's one of the things going into this season. You talk with Justin Hamilton. You talk to Ryan Smith about, and the corners have been pretty good so far this season. And it's you know you have four or five corners that have game reps because right. you have guys like. Dorian Strong that were true freshmen last season that had to get thrown into the fire and now they're pretty good and yes they had a a, a lot of them had a, a poor week this week mm-hmm. and nobody was great against Kenny Pickett but I I think in general that is a sign that there is some hope at that position yeah I absolutely think there's hope at that position and 
on the whole, you know, I'm still happy with that position yeah. right now with, 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 on the overall grand scheme of things. Um, my bigger concern is is I I hope that whatever issues are causing lack of player development at the other positions, I hope it's not like starting to bleed in the cornerback because that's like our last last bastion of defense as, as, <laughs> yeah. far, for, as far as player development goes. Um, but I, I don't know. Um, I, I think if you're Virginia Tech, you have to be a player development program. You absolutely have to. Um, it doesn't matter how well you recruit if your players don't develop. I mean, like, what are we talking? I mean, I went sat there and went through four star guys earlier who came here and they just haven't developed. Yeah, I was gonna say. So we like a, go out like a Dave Clawson program, right? So like, uh, you go out and sign a bunch more four star guys this year. Who cares? Because the last ones you recruited haven't developed. Is anything gonna change? That uh, that's been talked about a lot is the recruiting rankings for Virginia right. Tech, not signing four stars, but. You would say I would say seventy percent of the Virginia Tech starters are four stars. Yeah, uh, and I, I, I don't oh, on, on offense. I mean, you've got it's a four, almost you've, you've got a four star quarterback. You've got two four star receivers. Payute's in the two deep, and he was top five in the state of Virginia. Keyshawn uh, King was a four star. Was a four star. Holston was a borderline. Uh, James Mitchell was a four star before he got hurt. Um, so yeah, I mean, and you, and you look at the offensive line, and those are all Tenuta. really experienced Tenuta. guys. Like, well, Tenuta and Smith are considered NFL prospects. Yeah. Um, jo- and, you know, and, John Johnny Jordan had he was a all Big honor, Ten honor, all Big Ten honors Big Ten. right right exactly like you have experience and experience and guys who were highly rated and they just haven't developed man. yeah and I I hope I've thought that maybe that was a just just simply an offensive coaching issue but now I'm seeing some of the same signs on the defensive side of the ball uh, now that we have seven games of evidence piling up now so I, there could be but, Something deeper there, and I, and I think there is something deeper there. I, I thought, I thought, I thought it was interesting what you said in your Sunday thoughts yesterday about about Tisdale. Just how I know we talked about it a little bit, but how coming into the season, one of the things we asked Justin Fuente about it at, at media day, and he was like, "I'm really proud of how how he's transformed his mm-hmm. life. He had a kid. He's a you know he's taking on so much as a father figure, but it's really helped him transform his life." And as you pointed out in the stats, his play has not gone up. I was extremely excited when he got up to 228 pounds, right? And uh, he still has the frame to be bigger. Like, some people might say that's a lot of weight to put on in one offseason. But, you know, Xavier DB put on like 15 between his junior and senior year, and it didn't slow him down at all. He got even better than he already was and got drafted in the fourth round. Tisdale just looks, he looks weaker. Like, or he, like when when he makes contact with someone, they they don't go backwards a lot of times. He just it doesn't doesn't get off blocks. He just and I, and I'm not. I want to make it very clear that I'm not. We're not sitting here bashing players yeah. and saying this guy stinks or that because you're seeing it so much across the board yeah. that Virginia Tech's players aren't getting it's better. The player it's, development. It's, it's the, I don't think right. Correct. It's the player development. The players aren't letting us down. I think it's the player development at Virginia Tech that's letting the players down. And you could say Amari Varno, too, a guy who everyone thought was going to be a star this year, has kind of fallen into the background. I, I believe he wasn't even on the field for a few plays on that final drive. Yeah, how, Nick, how many tackles did Barno finish with yesterday? Let's see. Barno had for three Saturday. total tackles. Uh, two of them were assisted. Okay. So, so one I mean, solo. Yeah, and you know, after he had a fantastic performance against North Carolina in the first week of the season, everybody thought this guy's going to – He could be a – Top two round, guy yeah, yeah, and then and then he's, you know, and and as 
as the coaches always say, he he's done a lot that doesn't show up in the stat sheet, but you need him to show up in the stat yes. sheet. Yes, <laughs> I mean, because, look, tackles for loss and sacks are important because they take it from, you know, second and 10 to second and 14, and that that's a yeah. huge, huge deal. And that ends drives. So, you know, that 98-yard touchdown drive, you know, what, what if somebody had made a play in the backfield at, at some point and that had – put Syracuse in a long yard even situation. even just to lose a yard yeah right, yes. right. instead it, of gaining five second, right. second and six versus second and 11 ex- ex- yeah. exactly it changes everything from play calling to 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 how players themselves how confident they are in the upcoming play and and, and everything like that so yeah there, there's just it's just a lot of things are seemed like they're just not improving enough at Virginia Tech and in fact are, are getting worse one last thing on the defense before we kind of look big picture I talked about how the Hokies offense started four for four on third downs, then finished the game one of eight. I think the bigger stat, Syracuse, four tries on fourth downs, four conversions, including a big one on that last drive. Yeah, Will went over the the, the fourth down numbers for Virginia Tech this year in his Monday Thoughts article. Is that what you're pulling yeah, up? Yeah, I'm going to pull it up because I, I, uh, he put it in his uh, – he put it in – he tweeted it out you and I put go, it in, you in my article. full season numbers. Yeah, Virginia Tech is two of eight on fourth down this season offensively. Tech's opponents, 12 for 15. Wow. 12 yeah. for 15. Right. I'm looking at the camera when I say that because it's just, <laughs> I mean, it's just impressive. And like you said, Syracuse was four for four. And and we saw it last week when when it, it was something we hit on on the podcast where uh, Pitt put Kenny Pickett up under center and he gained, I think, on fourth and one twice, he gained five total yards. And Braxton Burmeister at one time and couldn't gain a yard. Mm. And it's like, Opponents are 12 for 15 on fourth down against Virginia Tech. I mean, that is... 80% is un- yeah. unreal. And, and, tech, just, and Tech is 25%. And I'm really just starting to wonder about the philosophies of this program as far as player sizes and, and everything like that. Like, I thought Jordan Williams who was going to make a big difference on Virginia Tech's defense this year, but that was when I thought he was going to be 317-pound Jordan Williams like he was at Clemson. And now he's 285. And he, you know, in the, and he was allowed to do that because he said, "I feel more comfortable at, at yeah. 385." Okay, fair enough. But on fourth and one, you need your 317-pound dude from Clemson to, to get in there and stop. make some stops. Yeah. And now he's 285, and not just 285, but it'd be one thing if he was 285 on like a six-one frame, and he had like these short, stocky legs and everything like that, and he could really plug a gap. But it's 285 on a six-four, six-five frame. Yeah, it's just it's it's. He's kind of narrow when you look at him from the side, and I just don't think that's a great philosophy to have when you want to stop the other team from running the football. Yeah, and I feel like when you have, I mean, I feel like linebackers or at least Dax is you know a little undersized too. I mean, if you know, just in general, this comes back to to your point about because there's one thing I noticed during the game. There was one drive where I think at defensive end it it was Barno on one end, and I think maybe Jalen Griffin on another end, and. You know, we 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 talked a lot, especially in the preseason, about just how, especially up front, there's a lot of guys that Bud Foster recruited yes. that were that were in his scheme, and he always recruited undersized guys. And I think that kind of shows it a little bit when you've got a lot of guys that are undersized that that just can't make plays when it comes down to you know. It. You're right. You're still seeing you know Eli Adams on the field for 15 or 20 plays a game. Yeah. And he's five eleven. He was not recruited to the scheme, so you know. Let's talk about that again, too. I mean, this is not all just yeah. This is fault this is he still Bud, has to play, but a lot of Bud Foster's players. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just 
they're just two different schemes, man. Yeah. And the, and Jay Ham's coaching the scheme that he feels the most comfortable in. And ultimately, he only spent Jay Ham only spent one year in Bud Foster's scheme when he was in college. Remember, he was a running back and a wide receiver before he was ever a safety, and he only yeah. played safety at one year at Virginia Tech. And he spent more time in the Saban Belichick scheme in the NFL than he did in the Bud Foster scheme. So he was always he's he just knows more a lot of more about those other schemes really to a certain extent. So. He's coaching the scheme that, that he feels most comfortable coaching, which he absolutely should do. Yeah. And, but you know the thing is, it it, it's, it is a different type of scheme, and they have different templates for defensive players that don't match up with the type that Bud Foster and Charlie Wiles were recruiting at the end of their tenure. So, this was never going to be like an overnight transition process for for the defense. Like they weren't going to go from you know, being bad to great overnight. They have improved since last year. Yeah, it, it just makes it a little bit more difficult when you have a lot of guys that aren't the body type. Right, right, The right. body type you want. And I think that goes back to what, what you said, Jake, the fourth down conversion. I mean, when you go – and away from the defense a little bit, just momentum-wise, when you can convert four fourth downs mm-hmm. – like, Oh, it gives you yes. so much confidence. That you, I mean, it's – Even as a coach – if you know you're you're just capable of completely blowing the other team off the ball and picking up a first down. Unless you're in your it, own territory, it, it, four downs. If it's like third and six, you're like, you know what? We don't need to get six yards here. We'll just get four. Yeah, We'll be fine. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying. It's yeah. four, four, Unless you're like at your own like 30-yard yeah. line, it's four down territory the whole way down the field. Right. And, and, that, and that's, you know, we earlier this season, Virginia Tech was fantastic on third down. I think they were letting opponents convert like, 20, 20, 22, 23%. Yeah. I, I haven't looked to see what that percentage is now. Maybe Nick can look that up for us. But but when you let people convert 80% on fourth down, they're like, okay, we don't need to convert I, on third down. I, I, I would say, I guess you'd have to look at the numbers and determine this, but if I was an opposing coach and my offense had the ball in plus territory against Virginia Tech and it was fourth and three or less, go for it. The percentages say go for it. Yeah. Right? You can shove this defense off the ball and pick up those three yards. And, nor- and a normal situation would dictate you punt there. But there's enough evidence built up now that Tech's not going to be able to stop you on those short yardage plays. You can steal an extra touchdown. Yeah, especially yeah. if it's fourth and one. Yeah. Well, and you've seen that trend in college, but also the NFL. I want to say it was the Chargers like two or three weeks ago. They went for it on fourth down eight times in one game yeah. and went seven for eight. Yeah. Uh, I mean, That's I mean, incredible. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so we talked about the defense. Obviously, a lot of struggle uh, on Saturday against Syracuse. But where do the Hokies kind of go from here? You've got four of your last five on the road. You're sitting at three and four. Have to win three just to get into a bowl. Does that seem realistic at this point? To be honest, no. But like, it's not impossible because this, some, except for the pit game, all the losses have been right there. You know. So you, you, Virginia Tech is going to have an opportunity to win three more football yes, games. Yes, Absolutely an opportunity. At least three yeah. opportunities to win. No question in my mind. Or are they going to be able to take advantage of those opportunities? Though? Or is something new going to pop up each week and say, gosh, well, we did this thing right this week, but this time around we got a punt block for a touchdown yeah. and yeah. lost by four or something like that. You know, It just seems like there's something new all the time these days. Like you said, some, something new every week. And, and the way I look at it is, you know, I think I think one of – I mean, we. It was funny, or I guess ironic. I was I was chatting with uh, with one of my friends uh, after the game, and I said, "If you if you had told me at the beginning of the season that 
you know, te- like you look at the the schedule at the beginning of the season, and you would have said, okay, the first six games, first six games are are the tougher part of the schedule. The back six, you've got Syracuse, Georgia Tech, Boston College, and Duke. Four straight games; those are all really winnable games. Tech couldn't even, you know, beat Syracuse, and that's where me personally, I'm like, I don't know one where their confidence level is, but my confidence level in the team being able to get a result isn't really there. But like we said before, they're all winnable games. They're also losable games, mm-hmm. but but you have a chance to win them all. Like Tech yeah. is going to be in the position to win every single game because the only game they haven't been in in a position to win this season against Pitt. And that was just a horrible matchup. And Pitt might yes. be Pitt Pitt is Pitt's I mean Pitt, Pitt's Pitt's top what, 17 in in the AP poll right now. Oh, they should yeah, be top 15. Like Pitt is a Pitt they is a good Clemson team around like like they Yeah. Were. Yeah. In every single other game this season Virginia Tech has had a chance to win. And I think in the last 5 games of the season it's going to come down to that. Virginia Tech will have chances to win. It's can they take advantage of that? When you go last game of the season, when you go at UVA how are you going to stop that Virginia offense? Right, you could well, slow them down, and, and it just doesn't outside of the Syracuse but then, game. But doesn't it seem like Tech's going to score enough? That, to, that to, and yeah. and so it, there's a lot of like, is is it going to be enough balance between the two sides to be able to confidently take advantage of those? Well, and it seems like it may come down to that UVA game. You think Duke's probably a winnable game? Maybe Georgia Tech this weekend, but yeah, Miami well, looked decent this week. Yeah, the thing about Miami is. They're improving with their backup quarterback. Yes. They, and they lost their starting quarterback. Now they've lost their starting running back, right? And they still went up there and dropped how many on Instagram? It was 31 30, and right. they played well defensively. Right, right. And they had scored 40 the week before, right? They were tight with North Carolina. Right. And they should have won that game, right. too. They certainly could have won that game. Um, so, like, <laughs> Miami's getting better the more players they lose, it seems like, at least offensively. They're just they're just figuring. I think I honestly I was it, it was interesting listening to, to Manny Diaz uh, after the game because I think his comments are very similar to what Justin Fuente would have said had Virginia Tech won the game, which was our players have worked so hard, and of course it's coach speak, but our players have worked so hard, worked so hard for this opportunity, and they finally got over the hump. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's exactly what Justin Fuente would have said right. ha- had Virginia Tech won. But but Miami's starting to figure it out and. At the beginning of the season, you know, when Miami got blown out by what Alabama, it, it and they were kind of downhill sledding. Yeah. You would have been like, "All right, Virginia Tech is gonna, con- you know, all, sure. all Virginia Tech's gonna have to do is score like 20, 20 points in Miami and win." And now yeah. it's Miami's on a roll. Yeah, that right. was uh, extremely disappointing for NC State. Yes, they yeah. really that really hurts their Atlantic Division chances. Yeah. Well, I, I was gonna say we've been talking about the ACC's nightmare of a pit wake forest ACC championship game. That seems almost but all but cemented. I'm kind of excited point. for that. Yeah, Pitt is Pitt is the only team in the coastal with less than two losses. They are still undefeated in yeah. the, the ACC, and then Wake now the only undefeated team in the Atlantic. NC State the only team with one loss after Clemson and, loses. And to NC Pitt. State and Wake still have to play each other. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so um, it, no, the thing is, NC State could win that game. But as long as like Wake beats Clemson, which I don't think Clemson can score, score enough points to beat Wake, yeah. doesn't that sound strange the, to say? You, you know what was one of the most intriguing stats I saw today? Clemson is one of two teams that has not scored more than twenty points against Power Five competition this season. Wow! And I don't remember what the uh, other other team was. Nick, if you search that on 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 Twitter, you might you might be able to find it. But it might have been like Arizona. I mean, it was somebody who it was somebody who Arizona's, wasn't 
It wasn't. Worst it was somebody team. who wasn't very good in Clemson, and it's like Clemson. Clemson. What? How? Yeah, and 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 that's the the point we're at. But but all these games back back to this. All these games are winnable. It's whether you can take advantage of that because the offense is going to have to play well when you go to UVA yeah. because yes. because you're going to have to. It's going to be a shootout with Brennan Armstrong. Can you score enough points? Okay, the offense got back on track this week, but. But what about the defense now? I mean, it's like you said, something different every single uh, yeah. week. I think the most winnable game of, that, of those five is Duke. I think we yes. would all agree on that. Yeah. I think the second most winnable one is Georgia Tech. I would say this week. Yeah. yeah. And so that makes this game very important this weekend. If you don't win it, then you've got to win three of your last four. Um, the, but the problem is, like, like Duke, Duke's not very good at anything, but they can run the football. Yes. And guess what Virginia Tech can't do? Stop the run. Uh, Georgia Tech's been able to run the football. The, well, this year, yeah, and speaking. BC, I'm not 100% sure, but Phil Dracovich could be coming back no, soon. Yeah, I, I, I know he's still not back. I don't know what he, the we're, 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 is. we're getting around that point where those people will start talking about, oh, can he come back this yes. week? Maybe so. That makes them a much better football team on a short week. Yeah, in Chestnut yeah, Hill, because Clemson would have one more loss if that dude had been playing in that week for sure. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Um, all right, before we get to YouTube questions, I'm going to take all of them away. We got to talk about kind of the elephant in the room. Mm-hmm. Justin Fuente had his pressure this morning. He's still around after the loss to Syracuse. Yeah. At what point does it seem like it's too late to make a move in season and you're still waiting to see how things turn out towards the end? Of yeah, there, there is a point where if an in-season move is, is being considered, all of a sudden it's it's too late and it doesn't matter anymore. Yes. Right. Um, I, I think – I don't know what point that is. I, I, to me it would be like – if Virginia Tech loses to Georgia Tech and you don't do it then, then there's just no point after that. Um, and it could also be that with the, the, the defense trending down, that it kind of makes it a bad look to give it to Justin Hamilton, right? Because the defense hasn't been playing as well recently. And they just uh, – like, like what if Bit, Whit Babcock had decided to, like, you know what, I Tech lost to Syracuse, I'm going to make a change. And, by the way, the guy whose defense just gave up 41 points and a deep bomb to lose the game is now the head coach. Right, so yeah. uh, there's just you're 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 you'd be grasping at straws to a certain extent. Um, I'm not against it or for it. Um, I, I I I don't think there's anything. I would be shocked if anything happened where Fuente could save his job this year. So to me, it's and I don't want this to happen because I would rather the man succeed and not have to spend ten yeah. ten million dollars on him. Right, but. Yeah. Uh, it just doesn't look like that's going to happen. So to me, it's a question of, of when and not if. Um, yeah, I, I, I did. I mean, I'll be honest. I uh, didn't start my column until late yesterday afternoon because I sat around waiting to see if anything was going to happen on Sunday. And uh, I do think it's possible that <laughs> something could happen in the middle of the season or not. Yeah. And, you know, like I said, it doesn't really matter to me. Either way, look, Tech lost the ball streak last year. Um, this is a long-term play. And whether or not Virginia Tech goes 5-0 and or 0-5 down the stretch, it's pretty darn irrelevant for the long-term future of the program. So it's like I, I'm not even thinking about Georgia Tech right now. I'm, I'm honestly thinking down the line. And I guess I, sh- I don't like to kick dirt on anybody before in their grave before they're fully in there, right? Yeah. But uh, it's just that seems like the direction we're heading. Yeah. I, to, to go along with Chris, I mean, like – you said like, you're you're going to be in Atlanta this weekend for the World Series, but you're not even you might not even go to the game, and I, I don't blame you. It's gotten to the point where like 
I, I'm covering the team, but I, I kind of take I'm gonna kind of take the last six results, including Syracuse, with a grain of salt because, in all honesty, you know I was asked um, by by Wes McElroy um, on, on nine ten the fan in Richmond on Friday. I go on there every week, and um, and he asked me to fill in the blank if if Syracuse wins blank if Virginia Tech wins blank and. I was kind of like, it, it, I guess it's just Virginia Tech has a little bit more confidence that they win. If Syracuse wins, it's kind of the same trajectory it's already on. You know, the program right now, it, it seems it seems like something's going to happen. And you can, I feel like you can tell it's it's coming because just, the. I, I think he's lost a lot of the fan base. Yeah. I, I, I mean, you you guys were all at the game. You guys all heard the Fire Fuente chants. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's hard to come back from that. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. and you know, after a loss like that, you've lost three straight games at home. And as I kind of sat and thought about it earlier, I mean, you had miscues in 2018. You had the bad loss to Duke in 2019, but you rebounded and ended up winning eight games. You didn't. You were, went five and six at, at the end of you finished five and six last year, and I think it's just things adding up on adding up and adding up. And you you asked Jake when, you know when is does it feel right? And I don't know if if it's a decision what what Babcock makes during the season because I think if if you do like Chris said, if you say okay, well I'm going to give it to Justin Hamilton, interim head coach, and he just gave up 41 points to Syracuse. I don't know if you. I don't know how much confidence that brings when you have somebody like that. But also, I would look at it as, as I was talking about with Chris before the show, if Whit Babcock gets rid of Justin Fuente midseason, if they had done it today, you have five games remaining, but he's not going to be the only guy leaving. There's going to be some guys that are loyal to Justin Fuente that are saying, well, I'm going to leave now. And then you've got not a complete staff looking there sitting there looking around trying to figure out well what their job what their next job what, is going to be what grad assistant is the new quarterbacks coach yeah and who's well, going to call the plays well, now and, and you'll ha- like and you'll have people look but like you'll have people who you know assuming that happens tech would be looking for a new head coach and you'll have assistants going okay well where where can I find a ne- my next job because sure. I'm not going to be sticking around here One either foot so out the door. so yeah. directions you know Everybody's going to be looking other places. And then, I mean, we've talked about max exoduses in the past. Players at the transfer portal. I mean, imagine the one of the guys that we, we've talked about on here. Players trust and believe in Justin Fuente. You get rid of him midseason. You, I, I don't. I think people have confidence in Justin Hamilton, but you lose the lot. You lose part of the locker room, and then I think it just kind of goes downhill from from there I don't think it would I don't think it would be any better than than it and, you know and so why at this point wait till the end of the, after the UVA yeah, game yeah I mean at the time to do it was this past yeah if you were going to do it and I just thought about this Virginia Tech plays Boston College on a Friday night the week after the the, the George Tech game yeah so that's a short week you don't change football coaches on a short week Yes. So, if anything, you if anything like it would not. So that makes me think there's no chance it happens after George Tech. Yeah. Maybe if, if Tech lost to BC, 
it would happen. But that, that, because you're there, in a long week, but then again, you only there's got three only games, three so games yeah, yeah, left. Yeah. So it yeah. seems like this past weekend was kind of last exit ramp. Yeah. Before yeah, the end. Well, yeah. And it's interesting because yeah. I kind of went into today's press conference, you know, texting out the, the media availability. And I kind of went into the text press conference today like, if Whit Babcock walks into the room and announces that Justin Fuente is no longer the head coach, I would have been like, I would not it be would surprised. Not it would not have phased me. But but I'm also not surprised that it didn't happen. And I, and like like Chris is saying, there's no point to fire your head coach with three games left. At that yeah. point, just wait out just the three games. That way you contain out. the program. And well, then it, the, it wouldn't get lowered until December 16th. Oh, yeah. Okay, so they would so, have to wait I don't, I don't think yeah. you could wait that long because yeah. of signing day. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's one of those things, man. Look, I, I want to win football games right now like everybody else. Yeah. Um, Probably the best case scenario for Virginia Tech is to win out and then he takes another job, so everybody can quit talking about it. Yeah, that Virginia Tech is not going to win out. Yeah. So I mean, I think we all know what's coming now. It's just a matter of when, and so it's like I am so interested in the future that mm. I'm. Not, it's really hard for me to sit there and say and focus on. Let, the, let, yeah. let me do a lot of research on Georgia Tech and see what's going to happen in this game. And it's not. I'm not. I don't want to say that I'm not interested in watching them play because I'm interested in seeing how many carries Malachi Thomas gets yeah. and stuff like that this week. But, like, if you have a deep emotional connection to Virginia Tech football, some people handle handle losses differently and uh, some people get angry, you know. I'm more the type I, I get sad and depressed. And nobody likes to feel that way. Right. Yeah. So, and then when I we sit here on this podcast and we talk about the previous game, when I write a column on Sunday, and then obviously go or watch the game on, on Saturday, depending on whether it's a home game or a road game. So it's like I relive every loss three times. Yeah. So like Virginia Tech has lost four games now. I feel like we've lost twelve games. Right. <laughs> yeah. I'm so tired of the season, and I want it to end as soon as possible, and so we can figure out what's going to happen. Yeah. I, I, I don't. I don't think there's going to be. Like like Chris and you said, Jake, if there was going to be a time to do it, it probably would have been today with five games to go mm-hmm. after losing three straight games at home. And and now it's, you know, I, I don't know if this team can can is going to win three games to get bowl eligible. Let's assume the team does not win three games. And so the team, say the team wins two games, finishes five and seven after the UVA game. We'll, we'll say Tech wins the UVA game just because. Uh, but but a, after the UVA game, you know, you part ways with Justin Fuente. Tech's not going to a bowl. Your season's over. Coaching staff change. New head coach comes in. And, that, and that's yeah. that. And and I, I think that's the best way to do it at this point. I agree. And, and now I think some people would make the argument, well, if Justin Hamilton's going to be the internal candidate, then, that's fair. then go ahead and do it as soon as possible. So he gets his trial run like Dabo Swinney got at, at Clemson or whatever, right? But – the thing is, like, I, I, I'm more and more believing that JM's not going to be a legitimate candidate for the job. I'm sure he'll get an interview. Uh, I don't think Whit Babcock wants to hire him as head coach, though, is my gut feeling. Yeah. And the thing is, if you make the change right now and JM magically starts winning, then a you lot of people are going to into a corner. Almost forces you to yeah. hire him, even if you don't think he's the right man for the job long term. I agree, and I think so. And this has to be a long term decision, not a short term. decision. Yeah, well, and one of the questions I would bring up is: was one of the reasons? Yes, we've seen Justin Hamilton grow this defense, but he is only in his second year. He's not even done with the second year as, as a defensive coordinator. Mm-hmm. But is part of the reason why he's been so successful? 
that Justin Fuente was running the scout team. Who knows? Like, you yeah. know, if Justin Ham if if you know, if we go out this week and and Virginia Tech gives up 40 points to Georgia Tech, then it's like look, you've given up look, two points, 40 every, points of back Everybody games. performs higher level when the head coach's eyes are on him, it seems yeah. like, around here. So, yeah. like, I, so yeah, and then all of a sudden the head coach's eyes get back on the offensive players this week and they start playing better. Yep. So, I don't know. I don't think there's – I know I we have to do this for the next month, <laughs> but <laughs> there's not a – Well, really luckily a basketball though. season starts. Basketball season 14 days, starting, I believe, isn't it? Yes, two yeah. weeks yeah. from two tomorrow. Two weeks from tomorrow. That's uh, exciting. One more hypothetical before we jump into the YouTube chat. If the game finished 17-13 Syracuse on Saturday, is Justin Fuente still the Virginia Tech head coach right now? Uh, yes, because of all the reasons I just I just. So you, you I still think... think I, 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 I don't think Babcock wants to make Jayham the next coach. I don't think it's outside the realm of possibility, but I, don't think, I think he's way on down the list. But if some miracle happened and you put him at interim head coach and they just started winning... Given this fan base's obsession with Virginia Tech guys, yeah, it would almost force him, yes, him to hire Justin Hamilton at the end of the season. Yeah, I agree. I, I agree with that one hundred percent. And if, if you're not going to do that, then it just causes a max exodus in the middle of the season, right. and it causes more problems. Right. right. And, I, mean, I mean, imagine this is just me thinking personally because I would have to cover all of that. But imagine all of the imagine the PR nightmare that comes with firing a head coach and then having. 15 players enter the transfer portal then it's like what's the point of you you know just do it at the you can't you can't make this decision based on the transfer portal you can't make this decision based on any current recruit in this class yeah you base this this uh this decision on the long-term future of the program and uh that's just how it's got to be man and 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 if you promote justin hamilton to interim head coach right now and you start you start winning magically then that's going to cause emotions in the fan base, and it, it'll cause emotional decisions to be made in general. And this, we need a rational decision to get made at the end of the season, not not one based on emotions. All right. Well, let's check check in on our YouTube chat. With, with uh, we don't really have any today. Really? Okay. No, no. not none, none at least that are suitable to say on the air. Yeah, I mean, there's <laughs> one that was like, would uh, what what's up with the D line? Yeah, okay, I can talk about that. You know, the, the D-line actually graded out okay against yeah. Syracuse. Not dominant, but, but you know, if you look at their grades, Fuga was slightly above average. Garbutt and Barno were, were above average. I'm talking about run defense or not anything else. The biggest issue is the run fits of those linebackers and safeties, or at least yeah. any safety not named Tay Daly. Yeah. Those are the absolute biggest issues on the defense right now. And then the only other one I really saw was Jalen Holston. Why has he disappeared? But two backs. Then man. Malachi Thomas comes uh, in. If we go <laughs> like, back to a three, if we go back to a three rack rotation after this past week, I will lose my mind. I was about to say, <laughs> your head would I mean, explode. Look, listen, I, and I uh, like Jalen Holston is a great fit for the program. Great culture guy. He's worked his tail off, uh, and I think there was a point in his career where he had potential as a player, but he he got hurt a lot mm-hmm. early in his career, and I think that that slowed down his development. But I think it also slowed him down physically. I don't think he. Uh, he looks less athletic now than he did earlier in his career because it's all lower body injuries and mm-hmm. things like that, and that's obviously not too good. Well, for any back. injury, also you have to get your confidence back yeah, in that. Yeah, and and so at this point, you know, I, I hate it for him, but at this point, you have to do what's best for the football team, and you got to do what's best for Malachi Thomas because yeah. 
you know, if you're not going to redshirt him, you got to play him. No, and I would say you have to do what's best for the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You have to, yeah. And and Malachi Thomas is the future. Right. As I said, he's from my research, he's the only Virginia Tech player ever as a true freshman to rush for three touchdowns in a game. And there's a long list of players that have rushed for three touchdowns in a game, including Michael Vick, who did it as a redshirt (laughs) freshman. I mean, like the amount of redshirt freshmen I found, by the way, which was very impressive. I mean, I think, I think like Ryan Williams and Darren Evans might have both done it as a redshirt freshman. But, but to to that point, Nick, I I think we, we talked about, we've talked about shrinking the running back room, especially Chris, you know, you got to shrink it down. You can't have, you can't be given four different guys, the ball. And, You've got two now with Malachi Thomas and uh, and Raheem Blackshear, and I think Jalen Holston. You know, I think he was good in short yarded situations, but I don't think he was good enough to to basically say yes. I'll give him that many. I'll I'll take away some carries from the rest of the guys to to give him those. Yeah, yeah, and you know, it's just that's football. You know, it's a, it's a highly competitive sport, and. Uh, the decision's been made, and the decision needs to be pressed on with. And Malachi Thomas is a great evaluation by Adam Lechtenberg. I want to say he was ranked the number 86 player in the in Georgia and like outside the top 1,100 nationally coming out of high school. He was unranked before he uh, committed. Right, and uh, I know he had like one or two other Power 5 offers, but the non-Power 5 schools who You said like him, Cincinnati, right? Cincinnati, USF, or UCF, Coastal Carolina, App State. Mm-hmm. The, the good, the good, possibly the, the four the best, best G five, exactly the ones that know how to identify under the radar talent, and they all offered him. Yeah, um, that's a great evaluation by Adam Lechtenberg, who I think in his short, like the two running backs that are playing for Virginia Tech right now were both Adam Lechtenberg guys. Yeah, uh, Khalil Herbert was a guy Adam Lechtenberg brought in, and now Raheem, Raheem Blackshear Lechner. was a guy Adam Lechtenberg yeah. brought in, and Mal- Malachi Thomas is a guy Adam Lechtenberg. Brought in. Now, granted, a couple of those guys were, of course, grad transfers, and it's easier to evaluate guys against college competition than it yeah. is high school competition. But the point still stands. The three dudes he's brought in who have gotten on the field have been good. Yeah. And meanwhile, you know, I know Virginia Tech evaluated Sean Tucker, and I know Zon Burden chose not to offer Sean Tucker because he didn't think he was quite good enough. And and Justin Fuente has always said that the most important important part of recruiting for Virginia Tech is evaluation, and he is absolutely right. His problem was he surrounded himself with too many guys like Burton who weren't good evaluators, and and that's hurt us in, in running back recruiting. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I hate it from the standpoint that like now I think we have a guy who, there who was competent to do it, and now everything's going to change and start yeah. all over. Well, and, and and that was I think one of the most disappointing parts. Like I tweeted out my stat after the game, and <laughs> I think I probably had like seven or eight replies and most of them were all right so where is he gonna, where's he going to transfer when Fuente's fired and it, and it's just disappointing it's just disappointing to think about but but yeah you're right and i think you know if there was a player development switch in there too you you have you you bring in great running backs and then you can develop them you can get them in the weight room you can get their body right i mean imagine what malachi thomas could do with the right player development absolutely like, i mean the frame is there for him yeah like, like i mean he's, he's six feet tall he's listed at 197 he looks more like 187 to me it's yeah. just i would say that's just how he looks physically but i mean the frame is there for him to be you know 200 to 210 pound range and and you know he'll get thicker and he'll fill out and everything like that and and those 151 yards 
He's going to break a couple tackles, and they're going to turn into 181 yards. Yeah. You know, things like that. Like like Will said, Will described him as Lee Suggs in, mm-hmm. in his, his, his vision, Monday thoughts. His vision was excellent. And I went back, and I, his two long runs in particular, excellent vision. Out of the pistol formation in both times, I love the pistol formation. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's fun. That's about it. All okay. right. Well, mm-hmm. thank you, Nick, for, for getting those for us. And thank you to everybody who dropped a comment or question in the YouTube chat. I think that's going to about wrap up episode 202 of the Tech Sideline Podcast, looking back at the loss to Syracuse. Chris, what's coming up over the next couple of days on TechSideline.com? Should have our normal Brandon Patterson article. Um, preview, preview podcast on Wednesday. Yeah. I'll do it inside the numbers, I think, on Thursday. Maybe a Q&A on Friday, maybe not, because I'm leaving on Thursday night, depending on how much how much, how much, much I can get done between <laughs> now and then. Um but, like, it's, it's gotten to one of these points, like, I'm glad to be going to the World Series, and I'm glad it's happening this year, because I actually really don't have anything else to say about our football program no. until something happens. Because you said everything I need said, to say. I've said everything that I can possibly say at this point. Like three I'm times. just going to be repeating myself <laughs> until, until the end of the season. And, and so, it's a good time to take a little break, I think. Well, yeah. and the good news is probably starting next week, I would assume, we'll start doing half-and-half half basketball. Yes. I, you know, so. and actually, that's one, forgive me in advance, because I know this is a football-centric school, but I might personally do a little more basketball towards the end of football season just because I, will, I don't have anything else to say about yeah. football. Yeah, and I'm, and I'm stoked. I hope everybody got a, got a chance to read my, my Justin Mutz story I put out. That was awesome. Great story. That was awesome. That is, that is a unique dude. Yeah, no, I, but but those are the type of guys, um, and I'm excited because um, we'll have Chris Hirons covering our women's basketball team, and, and they're an interesting program too, and they're they're going to be really exciting to watch. But just, you know, it's it, – it, Stuff like this makes me even more excited for for Virginia Tech basketball, and I assume we'll be putting out our, our basketball preview stuff sometime. No. We we have to plan that. Yeah, yeah. that we'll get on that. Well, yeah. and men's basketball a very interesting non conference non conference schedule. Memphis, and, Dayton, St. Bonaventure. And guess what? Two weeks from tomorrow, doubleheader men's and women's basketball yes. season opener. So that's, that's Davidson at five o'clock and Maine at eight o'clock. So I mean, men, so. It, basketball season's almost here, and. People might not have to gouge their hey, eyes. Hang on, Hokies fans. We're almost there. And now we have you, can I? I switch means you can I can actually go to, games go to the games and enjoy now? them. That's amazing. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> well, if you want more, uh, want to look back at more football content from the weekend, David's recap article up on techsideline.com, as well as Chris's Sunday, and Will has his Monday thoughts, doing work even while he's on vacation, and we appreciate it. He'll and Jack Brizendine's TTL notes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Tech, Tech Talk Live tonight. tonight. Yeah. yeah, Jack Brizendine will be get very on interesting. those. Yeah. I'm, I am excited. I will be there, so I'm, I'm excited to see how all that goes. Um, Wednesday we will be back. I believe Will will be back over there, but we appreciate David filling in today. We'll have a full Georgia Tech preview, getting ready for the Hokies trip to Atlanta on Saturday. First trip on the road in six weeks. So, <laughs> Wow. Then, yep. Yeah, and the first time playing Georgia Tech in two years. And now we're about to have four trips on the road in five weeks. It's yes. crazy yeah. schedule. Very strange schedule. Well, again, want to thank David for sitting over in Will's chair today. David Cunningham, managing editor of TechSideline.com. You can find him at the Real D Cunna on Twitter. Chris Coleman, the lead analyst and columnist at TechSideline.com. Chris Coleman, TSL on Twitter. Nick Brown, again, doing a great job in the fourth chair. Tell everyone where they can find you on Twitter. Uh, Nick Brown, thirty-three. There you go. I need to remember that. Uh, I'm Jay Kleiman, <laughs> your host, and as always, behind the scenes, Malcolm Stewart doing a great job as our producer. We hope you have a great start to your week, Hokies fans. We'll see you on Wednesday for the Georgia Tech preview.